Welcome to the Property Insights Podcast with Select Property Group, aiming to educate first-time and seasoned investors on the UK property market. I'm Amber Fur, today joining you from our Dubai office, and for this episode, I'm joined by Hitin Ganatra, Managing Director of UK-based mortgage advisors, Visionary Finance. Hi Hitin, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Amber, and welcome to all the listeners today. Hopefully you'll find this um, podcast very insightful. Thanks, Hitin. So... Today's podcast is going to be all about UK mortgages. It's been a really popular topic among our investor community, and it's certainly a topic that's seen a lot of change over the past few years due to the pandemic. So this podcast will give an overview of everything investors need to know when it comes to the UK mortgage process and what to expect when lending money for investment purposes. So Hitin, would you mind starting us off by just giving a general overview into Visionary Finance? Sure. Um, So we're independent mortgage advisors based in the UK. We incorporated in 2008, so we've been going for a number of years. And our sort of growth has really propelled since 2015. And since 2015, we've facilitated over £700 million worth of UK mortgages for clients and buyers based globally. So our primary market is, of course, facilitating and helping property investors who want to buy their investment opportunities and and diversify to the UK market and helping them arrange their mortgage lending. We offer a very bespoke service to each and every one of our clients. So every one of your listeners today will have, you know, specific circumstances. And our objective is to really understand their requirements, their investment objectives and their profile, and to then try and facilitate the mortgage lending for them using the vast number of lenders that we have access to. So as, as, as a firm, as an independent firm of mortgage consultants, we have over 70 different lenders that we use and have access to. Now, for international and expat clients who are looking to invest here in the UK, we have access to pretty much every single lender that is out there that can lend to international buyers. And that includes around 15 to 17 different lenders. So as clients, what they need to sort of uh, be comfortable with is the fact that, you know, we're acting on their behalf to try and get them the best deal possible that's available in the marketplace. And then lastly, we're a firm that prides ourselves in, in providing excellent customer service to our clients. So we effectively manage that entire process on behalf of all of our clients from start to finish. So once we've got the initial introduction right through to the client getting the mortgage offer. And, and of course, the most important thing is for every, the client to be aware at each stage where their mortgage application's at. So very, very big on, on, on making sure that we make our customers happy by using our service. Okay, great. And I think, you know, you're right, that consultative approach is so important when it comes to property investment and mortgage, because, you know, like you say, every investor's circumstances are very, very different. So you mentioned there that you have access to over 70 lenders. For our overseas investors in particular, can you provide a background as to how the UK mortgage and housing market has reacted since the pandemic? Sure. So the one thing when we had when the pandemic was announced, I think it was in March 2020, when investors really became and and the global markets got massively impacted by the news of the pandemic, a global pandemic, which obviously no one had ever sort of experienced. There was never, ever a blueprint as to how to deal with a pandemic. We had a number of lenders. I mean, all in all, we had over access to over 15,000 mortgage products. But after the pandemic got announced and we had the, the first set of lockdown, that got whittled down to around 7,000 products. So you can imagine lenders were very, very cautious, nervous about where things were going, where the market was going, what the impact of this pandemic would be and how long it would last. And of course, because of our relationship with a number of different uh, lenders, we have very extensive and very deep relationship with many, many lenders. 
I took it upon myself to actually speak with these lenders and, and understand what their appetite was, where they saw the market was going. And to a lend, every single lender that I spoke with estimated that the prices in the UK would fall between 10 and 20%. And therefore, the higher loan-to-value products that were available in the marketplace were withdrawn from the market simply because lenders didn't know where the market was going. Now, um, roll on, you know, we're now in obviously, you know, entering second April 2022. Every single one of those lender predictions have been incorrect. It's to the extent where if we look at the, the statistics and the numbers, data shows that prices are actually 16.4% higher than the pandemic levels. So in essence, we've actually seen a growth in the market rather than a contraction market. And that purely comes down to supply. If we look at the UK market generally, uh, and we deal with a lot of investors, we deal with a lot of clients who are buying let landlords, you cannot get property for love nor money at the moment because just the lack of supply of properties that's available. And obviously the demand's there, and that, of course, drives up the prices. Um, so ultimately, that's been the biggest. So if, if we look at the lenders and they've got a lot of these you know, very clever economists, et cetera, most of their predictions were pretty wrong. So I think, I think if we look at this, the stability of the UK market, it is very, very strong. But also to add to that, if we look at the rental market as well, I mean, Knight Frank have produced a recent report which says that um, there's been a 46% contraction in properties available for rental. And that is also having a, an impact on the rental yields that are being achieved. So rents are going up, prices are going up. Um, and, and, and so it is absolutely what we're seeing, certainly from the investor clients that we work with, is it an absolutely very, very strong market to, to take advantage of at the moment. Absolutely. And I think that is something that, as you say, makes UK properties so attractive, particularly to overseas investors, is really that resilience. And as you say, you know, it's, it's always underpinned by a supply and demand imbalance, which is what's causing property to, to keep defying economic conditions and expert predictions. So today's podcast then was initiated by the excellent investor response that we had from the two webinars that we held together a few weeks back. So clearly, this is a topic that investors are really keen to learn more about. And today, we're going to cover the mortgage process for both domestic and overseas investors, as well as seven frequently asked questions um, that our property consultants across our global territories asked regularly. So to start us off, would you mind just explaining the mortgage process? You know, it's, it's something that can seem overwhelmingly complicated for someone making a UK investment, perhaps for the first time. Absolutely. So I think that's the one thing that we absolutely been very keen to make sure is the fact that the whole journey for our clients and our relationship with Select is that we make it as seamless and as easy as possible. Now, the first objective for us is to really understand the client's circumstances. So we'd normally get an introduction over from the sales consultant that, that, that introduces the client over to us and asking us to, to make contact and to set up a, an initial consultation call, which should last anywhere between 10 and 15 minutes. During that call, and, and what we can do is set it up via Teams, Zoom, uh, a, a traditional phone call or even WhatsApp. So we're very much open to helping our clients in the easiest way possible. Have that Once we've had that conversation, and, and within that conversation, we'll effectively understand what the client's current circumstances are, what their investment objectives are, and a bit more about the property that they're looking to acquire. And during that call, we'll be able to quickly, our, our specialist consultants will quickly be able to understand which lending option will be best suited to that client. And during the call, we'll also be able to provide an indication, a high-level indication of the rates that are going to be available. Once that call's happened and, and the client's comfortable, we will then follow, send a follow-up email uh, requesting our onboarding documentation, 
anti-money laundering documentation, so things like passports, identity, etc., and also income verification documentation. That the client then has to effectively complete. And again, this is all done electronically, so they can send it and scan it back over to us. Once we receive their documentation, we'll finalise that. We'll, we'll, we'll go back to the lenders to make sure that the lending options that we did provide at the outset meets the lender's uh, criteria and meets the client's criteria as well. Once we finalise those, we'll present these options to the client and, and explain our reasons for going with X, Y or Z lender. Now, our objective is, our responsibility is to our clients to make sure we secure them with the best available rate in the marketplace. We're instructed by our clients. So in essence, the way we start is we look at firstly the tier one lenders. So the tier one lenders are the best lenders for clients who've got the most corrective circumstances as far as the lending policy goes. And we'll present those options over to the client. Now, for example, if those tier one lenders aren't necessarily conducive for whatever reason due to client circumstances, we'll look at tier two and then tier three lenders. But it's safe to say that we are working on our client's behalf to make sure we get them the best rate that's available in the marketplace. Once those are presented, client then decides on which they want to proceed with. We will then do the necessary, we'll get confirmation of that and we'll do the necessary work to sort of finalize that option for the client. And then we'll start the application process. So again, at this stage, the client's always got a dedicated consultant that they're dealing with. Any questions that are asked, go to the consultant and the consultant's timescales are responding within 24 hours. So in essence, we're making sure that we're keeping you updated along the way. Um, once, as I said, the options have been finalized, we then start the application process. And, and that's something that we do on behalf of our clients, get that submitted to the lender. And then it goes into the queue for the lenders to assess the application. That's what's known as the underwriting phase. Um, and at underwriting stage, again, it will be us communicating with a lender. And if there are any additional requirements that the client needs to provide, then we will obviously commute directly with the, communicate directly with the client for any additional requirements that are needed. Once the underwriting perspective has been completed, valuation gets instructed. And if, uh, on the basis of valuation comes back, OK, the mortgage offer gets issued. So we effectively manage that process from start to finish for the client. The client's dealing with us as, as their advisor, as their consultant. And we then do the hard work as far as dealing with the lenders and their and their sort of jargon and their process. So that pretty much summarizes the mortgage journey for our clients. Okay, great. And I bet that is again quite attractive to an overseas investor in particular who, you know, does is really looking for that end-to-end, one-stop shop sort of approach. And just to really simplify everything that you just said, I know that you sort of you um structure that as a seven-step mortgage journey, don't you? Absolutely. So that's one introduction. Two, consultation, three, advice, four, client checks, five, finalized lending options, six, mortgage application process begins, and finally, seven is when they wait for the offer. Uh, Absolutely. Okay, great. So moving on then to the frequently asked questions. I know that you've spoken to some of our clients already, haven't you, Um, from our Dubai office in particular? We have, yes. We've had a number of really constructive conversations with keen buyers that are looking to to sort of take up take up the mortgage options. Okay, great. So I'll start with probably the most common frequently asked question, which I know would have already come up in some of those early conversations. And that is, when should I start the mortgage process and how long does it usually take? It, it is a very common question and clients are always um, nervous about starting too early because mortgage offers are typically valid for six months. But equally, because of the timescales that things are taking currently, you don't want to be starting too late where you miss your completion deadline. So typically, if I answer the question first, we normally give a timescale of between eight to 10 weeks from our initial discussions through to getting the mortgage offer. 
Okay. Okay. Now, ultimately, there have been instances where we managed to get offers out within six weeks, but equally with certain more complex and or complex client circumstances, it has meant that the lenders have requested further supporting information, which means that offers have taken as, as long as 12 to 14 weeks. So what we typically say is that let's sort of account for eight to 12 weeks, and that will sort of give us sufficient uh, time to get the mortgage offer through. Okay, great. And moving on to question two then, is lending available to clients based anywhere globally? And how easy is it to open an account if the mortgage is approved? So mortgage lending is available to clients based in most countries, as long as they're not sanctioned, we can certainly get lending. Now, you may recall, I mentioned that uh, there are around 17 different lenders that we have access to. A lot of these lenders, the countries like the Middle East, the Far East, Europe, are absolutely great to lend. And they're the tier one lenders that are going to be offering the best rates available. But then when you've got clients that are based in you know, the African countries, some African countries, we may need to look to go to lenders uh, within the tier two bracket where the rates are going to be slightly higher, but they're certainly going to be cheaper than, than what the prevailing rates are within those countries are. And we can still get them lending. So I think it, it's safe to say that if you're, in a, if you're in a specific country and you're a little bit concerned about putting a deposit down, what we can offer is, is initial high level sort of consultation to say that, yep, in principle, this is what we can give you. This is what we can get you from the marketplace. And this is what's going to be available. So I would not discount looking at mortgage options just based on the fact that the country uh, that you're residing, certainly have a conversation with us and let's try and bottom out what your requirements are and to see what lending options are going to be available to you. Okay, great. Um, question three then, what fees are involved when applying for a mortgage and do these fees change for overseas investors? Sure. So the three main mortgage related fees, application related fees are Firstly, a lender will normally charge an application fee. Now that's probably about a couple of hundred pounds and that's payable on the submission of an application, okay? The mm -hmm. second fee that's payable is a valuation fee. And again, that's payable at application. And what that is effectively is a fee that you pay for the valuation, for the lender to carry out the valuation on the property that you're purchasing to effectively confirm the purchase price and the security is what you're, is worth what you're paying for it. And that again is paid up front, but that only becomes chargeable when the valuation actually takes, carry, actually takes place. So we can actually ask to put that on hold until your case has been agreed and underwritten. So you're not paying that, you know, you're not, it's not costing you anything up front. So the valuation fee, and then the third fee is the mortgage product fee. And that typically is not actually a notional cost to the client because most lenders allow for the mortgage product fee, which can range from you know, a flat fee of say a thousand pounds, right through to one and a half to 2%, which can be all added to the loan. So those are the three typical mortgage related fees that you'd be paying at the outset. Okay, um, and on to question four then, what are the core requirements for a buy-to-let mortgage in the UK? So, Again, depending on the client's circumstances, a couple of the core requirements are the fact that you've got to be able to demonstrate a income, an income. So whether that's employed income or whether that's self-employed income, we need evidence of that to make sure that you can, you, you're financially sound for the lender to take the risk and lend you the money. Now, having said that, you know, where clients, we've actually helped arrange lending for clients who have got very minimal income, but then what happens is as the risk of the lender increases by lending to someone who's got a low level of income, and by low level of income, I mean, you know, 20, 25,000 pounds, it means that the lenders that we can have options of reduce, which means that the rates that we may be able to secure for the client is higher. But where you've got a client that's sort of got income above 50,000 uh, pounds, 60,000 pounds, 
a lot of lenders are comfortable with that level of minimum income, in which case we can attract the tier one lenders. The other element of it is the personal profile of the client. So what do they do? What line of occupation are they in? Again, has an impact on the buy-to-let mortgage uh, eligibility and the rental income. What sort of rental income is being achieved on the property in order to establish whether the buy-to-let mortgage that you're going to be getting is going to be able to service the debt from the rental income that you're going to be earning? Okay, great. Yeah, that was really insightful. Um, and moving on to question five then. So what are the differences between personal mortgage and a limited company mortgage? Sure. So from an application perspective, from our due diligence, the due diligence that we carry out at the outset, there isn't anything. So we would still go through the same process whether you're buying in your personal name or a limited company uh, name. The difference comes in the lender availability. So I, I keep coming back to the tier one lenders. There are a, f a few of the tier one lenders that don't lend to limited company buy-to-lets. Okay, so the property has to be purchased in a personal name in order for them to uh, lend against the property uh, and, and lend to you as the client. Now, is there anything wrong with that? No, that's just the lending policy. Are they not lending to limited companies for a specific reason? No, it's just the fact that they get sufficient applications for personal name mortgages, so they don't need to venture into lending to limited companies. So there's no disadvantage really it just means that our lending options for limited company buy to let mortgages are slightly narrower but again what what we do say to our clients is that look obtain some sound tax advice to make sure which structure is the right structure for you there are certainly benefits of buying in a limited company name but it could come at the cost of maybe having a limitation in the lender options but then you need to weigh it whether the costs certainly outweigh the benefits of, of going down a corporate entity Okay, and can I just ask for some investors who might not be aware, what are the benefits of investing under a limited company mortgage? In terms of limited company, we've had a lot of tax changes that have come into effect. I'm not a tax consultant, but what I can, you know, based on my wider knowledge of the market, what I can tell you is that buying through a limited company, it means that it keeps it separate from your personal earnings. So in essence, yeah. you're paying corporation tax, which is lower than, you know, personal rate of income tax in essence. You've also got the inheritance tax planning element of it as well. So, for example, you know, if you needed to leave the property to, or the company to your family after you, know, you pass away, it's an easier process and it's a more tax efficient process. So okay. there are benefits, but I must sort of caveat that by saying that you probably need to just uh, speak to a specialist who can effectively give you the, the full pros and cons of buying through the limited company wrapper. It's safe to say if we look at sort of UK investors as well, UK, you know, portfolio landlords, a lot of them now who are growing their portfolio, who are investing new in portfolio, are moving their structures from personal to limited company purely because of the tax reasons. And of course, the government in 2000, and I think it was 15 or 16, announced the fact that the write down of interest costs uh, for personally owned buy to let mortgages would not give the same benefits as if it was in the limited company. So again, those tax reasons have actually really swayed the minds of a lot of investors who are now really looking at, at buying in a limited company as the, as the best and the most efficient tax way of doing it. Okay, great. So moving on to question six, what factors affect the amount the client can borrow and interest rates? And also how might those interest rates change over the next few years? There are, there, are, there are three main factors that affect the amount that the client can borrow, which is known as the loan to value, as well as the interest rates that the clients can achieve. And those three are as follows. Firstly, the country of residence. Now, 
The major lenders in this space to lend to international expat clients are very comfortable with lending to clients that are based in the Middle East and Far East. And those are the lenders that effectively fall in, again, you know, come back to the tier structure, tier one lenders. Everything within these countries are very, is very transparent, is easily accessible in terms of income documentation, money laundering documentation. So they're very comfortable around that. So the country of residence plays a big part in the lending options that are available. The second one, the second aspect is the personal profile of the client. So if, for example, if you've got a client that's working for an international organization, payslips are not a problem. You know, they've got good track record, historical track record of possibly having already UK properties here. But even if, if they've not got any historical properties here and they're a first time buyer, the fact that they're working for an international organization gives comfort to a lot of these lenders, uh, which means that in essence, that'll have an impact on the amount that you can borrow and also the interest rates available. And then thirdly, it comes down to security and what you're buying. So of that, there are two aspects, A, the purchase price and B, the rental income. Lenders will typically, although they look at your personal income by way of underwriting, they will need to make sure that the rent that you're achieving on the property that you're buying is sufficient to cover their mortgage debt interest cover, which in essence means that is the rental income that you're achieving going to wash the face of paying the mortgage without you having to contribute any monies yourself into the deal? So. Those are the three factors. Now, in terms of the um, loan to values, as long as we've got ticks in those three boxes, you are going to be able to attract lending at the highest loan to value and the lowest rate available in the marketplace. So three main factors to obviously consider the country of residence, the personal profile of the applicant and the client and the rental income that's being achieved on the property. Okay, great. Another really insightful answer. Um, so number seven then, what is the minimum deposit required? This is again, a really common one. Um, a lot of people don't think they can get a mortgage on their investment property based on what they've got to put down. So yeah, what is the minimum deposit required to get a UK mortgage? Sure. So we can actually, we've got access to lenders who can, who can accept a 20% deposit with the rest being funded by the lender. Okay. But that is only one lender in the marketplace that can do that. If okay. you want to, if as a client, you want to make sure that you've got access to a, a greater pool of lenders, I would probably say that if you budget for around 35 to 40% deposit, that means we've got access to, or we've got um, available to us, uh, you know, the full spectrum of lenders really. So the greater the deposit, of course, the better it is, because what you're saying to the lender is that, um, you know, I'm prepared to put money where my mouth is. And in essence, put down a larger deposit. But as I said, if you budget for around sort of 35 to 40%, it means that we've got a good chance of securing you with one of the main major lenders who have got the most competitive rates in the marketplace. So that hopefully uh, gives a bit of an insight as to where the deposit level should be. But equally, just to add to that is that there's a lot of clients that we speak with that believe that they have to do an interest amortizing loan, uh, interest and, and repayment uh, loan. Whereas a lot of the lenders here that are lending to uh, international expat clients are prepared to lend just on an interest only basis. So depending on your investment objective, if you want to do it for cash flow and you want to use the rental income to build up a surplus set of funds, then interest only is also a very good option for clients. But if you want to know that have the certainty of ensuring that the mortgage will be redeemed after say 20 years of having the mortgage, um, you can offer a repayment. So the fact that you've got both options means that you've got a greater choice to make. Again, depending on your individual circumstances, we'll guide you through what the best option for you will be. Okay, fantastic. And moving on to our final frequently asked question then, is there a limit on the number of properties a buyer can mortgage, either through a personal name or a limited company? And does this change for international clients? 
Okay, so a lot of lenders uh, tend to have a maximum exposure limit. So if one of the main, main lend, major lenders that we do use quite frequently has a policy whereby if you've got five or more buy-to-lets, they will no longer lend you any more funds. Now that's five with them or five with other lenders. And, the, and that particular lender, for example, has that policy. We've got other lenders that say that they can lend uh, to you as long as you've got no more than three million pounds worth of lending. So it really does depend on the client's individual profile. But what we can do is that there is no real obligation for any purchaser, any, any, any client who is looking to purchase in the UK to use a specific. So, for example, if with the, the first lender that I gave an example of where you've got five or more bytelets that we can't lend any more to you, well, we've got, you know, another lender that we can go to. So you don't necessarily shoehorn yourself into having just one lender that you always go to. One of the major banks, which, which most, of our, well, most of your listeners will be familiar with, is HSBC. And they have a policy whereby you can't have more than three byte lets. Well, that's HSBC's policy. But if we go to, say, another lender, they might say, well, actually, we've got a £5 million lending limit. So as long as you've not got £5 million across your byte let portfolio, we can still lend. So Again, I think it gives the advantage of using an independent mortgage advisors like ourselves to make sure that we are looking at the whole of the market to make sure that we can still facilitate your investment objectives by looking at a full spectrum of lenders that are best suited to your, to your circumstances. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it, it is really clear to see the value of going through an independent mortgage advisor like yourselves who can take that more holistic consultative approach rather than a sort of one size fits all approach that you would perhaps get with any particular one lender. So that concludes our seven frequently asked questions. Uh, I'm sure that's proven very insightful for our listeners. If you are listening and you're considering applying for a UK mortgage or you have any questions about how much you could borrow, please do get in touch directly with Visionary Finance. We'll put their contact details in the podcast notes so you can follow that up. And finally, Hitton, thank you so much for chatting with me today. It's been great to have you on the podcast uh, and I'm sure any listeners have learned a lot. No, brilliant. Thank you so much for having me, Amber. It's been a really, really helpful. And hopefully your, your listeners will find this uh, podcast really useful because I hope that they've taken nuggets of information away which they'll find useful. And of course, if any of them are sort of unsure about you know, where their position lies, then of course, you know, we're more than happy to speak with any, any client that, that, that is potentially considering an investment in the UK, because of course, just, just sharing that knowledge, we believe that, you know, it'll help them, them come to their decision, whether it might be the right thing or the wrong, wrong investment decision for them, you know, but at least by having the facts on the table and for us to be able to sort of give that consultative approach and give them, you know, the best advice possible that's suited to them, I hope will, will certainly add value to them. So, Thanks once again for your time. Um, it's been a pleasure. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And for everyone listening, thank you for joining us on our podcast. If you found it useful and want to stay up to date with the market, subscribe on your platform of choice. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. <laughs>